Our meditation for this morning is taken from the text that is before you, taken from Luke chapter 24, titled Recognizing Jesus. Luke 24, beginning to read at verse 28. The Word of God. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is evening, getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began saying to them, then they're giving it to them, then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the, way, on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Our God, may these words be more than ink on paper, but living messages from God to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Valley of Sacramento, in 1848, began what is known as the Gold Rush, the California Gold Rush. It is said to be one of the most significant events to shape American history during the first half of the 19th century. As the news spread, thousands of prospective gold miners traveled by sea and overland to San Francisco and the surrounding areas. By the end of 1849, the non-native population of California was nearly 100,000, which usually was 1,000. A total of $2 billion worth of precious metal was extracted from that area during the gold rush. And by 1852, it peaked. The gold rush, it changed the whole American scene because people got the idea if I could just tap into what everyone else is experiencing there, I will never have to work again. If I could get the gold, a piece of that. Our text this morning talks about the discovery. Picture with me, if you please, the two on the road to Emmaus. Their heads are seeing just the earth upon which they're walking. Their minds racing with all kinds of questions. 
There was nothing to console them from the sense of emptiness they felt. The sense of disappointment. In fact, if you please, to them there was a defeat of the divine. I don't need to go over it, you know it quite well. But it is right at that point that Jesus appears upon the scene. At the point of the disappointment of the disciples, Jesus appeared on the scene. You know, I, I wonder how many of us entered this place this morning like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We are here, but our minds are not here because we can think of all kinds of other things that can occupy our minds so that it takes away the reality of what has really happened. Let me see if the next few minutes we have, if this text can help us to rediscover Jesus again. Look, if you please, at what we read in this text, verse 28. And as they approached the village where they were going, he acted as if he would go farther. <laughs> this is what I call the divine investigation. Many have tried to put meaning into what Jesus was doing. Was he teasing the disciples? He acted as if he would go a little farther. Why was he doing this? Did he not know that they were already discouraged? But there is something, a principle of the Christian life that is seen here that we must get a hold of, or if you please, must get a hold of us. Speaking about Jesus, Luke says that it made it appear that he intended to go. What is this principle? If you please, turn to Mark. Keep your fingers there. Turn to Mark. One book back. Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, we read this. This telling about the storm in the disciples' lives. Mark 6, 48. Verse 47 says, It was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land, seeing them straining at the oars, trying their best to reach the other side. Then we read this. As he saw them, about the fourth hour of the night, fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. That seems almost a mockery, doesn't it? I want you to, to, to conclude with me didn't say to pass them by. It says to pass by them. You see, that has great significance. What, what he was doing, he was putting them to the test. In the darkest hour of their souls, he was testing their souls. 
in Luke, he acted as if he would go farther. In Mark, he intended to pass by them. Whenever you see that, that phrase, pass by them, please remember that God is not tantalizing the soul. He has great, great reasons. He's putting our faith to the test to see if our faith will remain steadfast in the midst of the storms of life. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments. He led you not the short way to the promised land, but the long way to test you, not to tempt you, to test you. Whenever God tests, it is to bring out what is inside. It's not for him to get information. He is seeking to produce in them, to develop in them, to strengthen in them by testing them to see if their faith was fair, whether faith, whether their faith could stand. Listen to what a voice from the past says this. Our Lord used the readiest and most natural means to draw out the feelings of his disciples by walking as if he intended to go further. But it seems to me an unreasonableness to see in this some intention to deceive as it would be dishonesty in his, in his first in his, in his way. What manner of conversation are these that you have? He wants them to hear themselves. He wants them to test themselves. He wants them to understand that, that when he comes by us, he has a reason. We'll see it in a minute. You may be on the Emmaus Road this morning. You may be only able to look at the footprints that you leave in the sand, feeling empty. God may be testing you. Because the communion of a longing soul and a satisfying Christ is at the center of God's plan. May I repeat that? The communion of a longing soul and a satisfying Christ is at the center of God's plan. When Jesus came to the disciples, he withheld their eyes so that they could not really recognize who was there. But what was he doing? Look at the disciples' invitation. Abide with us. Stay with us. The Greek word is a strong word. They constrained him. 
how much do you really want Jesus to stay? They were not just saying it. They did not want to be simply hospitable. Something was happening in them. And they didn't want to lose it. Fanny Crosby, in one of her songs, Rescue the Perishing, writes these words. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that were broken will vibrate once more. What was he doing? He was literally saying to them, I want to see how much you want me. I met with someone this past week going through a very difficult time. And I said to this person, have you ever thought of fasting? I said, you see, in the Old Testament, they fasted for a particular thing. In the New Testament, they fast for God. Not for something, but for someone. This is how much I want you, Lord. I am willing to surrender this thing that I might have the cords vibrating once again that did so in times past. I will show you in a minute what Jesus is doing. Jesus uses this strange way, not because he was withholding mercies from his disciples, but Jesus will never force his way to give you his gift. He will never force his way on you. He will never force his way on me. He wants us to do what Luke tells us, ask, ask. And if I find my heart getting cold toward God, I want to ask him to revive me, O Lord. Let the chords that used to be vibrating vibrate once more. Spiritual discovery comes by spiritual appetite. Without an appetite to have him stay with us, he will not stay because God will never force his gifts on us. Just think, my friends, there's a song, a few of the words came, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long has it been, how long has it been since you told him that you care? Just think of how long we can go without opening the word, without seeking the face of God. And we become so much a part of the culture that God becomes like a bridge. You know, you know that song they used to sing? Jesus is like a bridge over troubled water. I'd never sing that song. I have, I have crossed bridges in my life. And the only time I think about a bridge is when I want to cross it. 
Is that what God is? Like a bridge over troubled water, that's all he is? Jesus is saying, is your faith able to maintain its focus when everything around you seemingly is about to be destroyed? He wants to hear your voice saying, abide with us. Stay with us. I learned a song way back as a young chap. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if thou art by my side. No wonder from the pathway if thou wilt be my guide. Do I invite him? Do I, do I, like the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Jesus heard the heartbeat of these two. You see, something was happening to the disciples as he was speaking to them. And when they came to their destiny, they were saying, we can't afford to let him go. We, we need him to continue what is happening. You see, because in verse 32, you know what they said? Wasn't our heart burning within us while he was speaking with us? That's what they didn't want to lose. They were discouraged, defeated, and despondent. They were even walking away from Jerusalem, almost as if to say they were walking away from their faith. And as Jesus drew near, and he began to speak to them, the chords were once again beginning to vibrate. How long has it been? Let's look quickly at the triumph of spiritual authority. And I deliberately titled this section Spiritual Authority because I want you to see that Christ is in total control of what's happening to the disciples. There is something arresting about what is seen in this section. It was the custom of the day that when a stranger comes to your house, you show him hospitality by serving him. But in this case, the visitor becomes the host. The disciples showed no reluctance because no one had ever stirred them in their souls as they were being stirred by Jesus. It was their house. It was their table. And Jesus Christ assumes the authority over their house and over their tables because, my friends, they were experiencing something that says that this is more than a man that I have met on the road. Quickly, he prepared for the disciples. They express what was happening in verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he was explaining the scriptures to us? How did he prepare the disciples for what he was going to show them? He opened the scriptures to them. 
It was the scriptures that was doing it. It was what Christ was saying with the scriptures. What he was saying about the scriptures. He challenged the Pharisee of his day. Search the scriptures for they speak of me. I thought of the ladies studying the tabernacle. When you study the tabernacle, when you put the Old Testament pieces together and the life of Christ, you know who you come out with? Jesus. Jesus. Please keep that in mind. The Old Testament, my friends, are the scriptures that speak of Jesus Christ coming and causing the cords to vibrate once more that were no longer vibrating. God speaks to the heart to actually cause, to cause the fires to begin to burn within us so that scriptures become more precious to us than honey in the comb. Came across this story. In November 23rd, 1654, the man who is known as the father of the computer, Basil Pascal, Blaise Pascal, I'm sorry, Blaise Pascal, it must have been the night that he became a Christian because in his diary he wrote, Fire! Fire! The words were followed by joy! Joy! Joy. And at the bottom of it, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. When the scriptures begin to enter in, my friends, where our souls have become complacent, there will be fire. Did not our hearts burn within us? It was what he was speaking, what he was saying. And all of a sudden, there was this spiritual fire from the, from, from, from the two. It was the most memorable time, I think, for these, my friends, who all of a sudden, before they got to their destiny, were experiencing something unique. Spiritual fire. Can you think of anything most necessary today than spiritual fire? He presided over the disciples. He sat down and implied he got up and took the bread. This is not the communion service, by the way. This is a fellowship that he wants to have with them. And he blessed it. And he began giving it to them. And as the disciples... We're getting it. Something was happening to them. Note what I said. He is presiding over the disciples. They don't have control in their own homes. Jesus does. I, please listen as I read it. In the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus, Moses asked God, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, Nobody can see my glory and live. But I'll tell you what I'll do. There is a place 
You can read it for yourself. Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 18. There is a place, a rock, and I will put you in that rock. Please listen now. And I will pass by you. I will pass by you. And when I pass by you, you will see my glory. You will see my goodness. Listen, you might have a spiritual appetite, but spiritual appetite, my friends, does not come from our experience about God. It comes from God's experience in us. He takes control of this. I will put you in the rock. And I will pass by you. You will not determine how you see me. You will see me as I reveal myself to you. And I will let all my goodness pass before you. Please listen again. When he intends to pass by us, it is to reveal himself to us. It is not to keep us in the dark. It is to make us know that spiritual victory is the victory of Christ, not our victory for him, but his victory for us. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in the triumph of Christ and makes known the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And we become an aroma of Christ to God and to everyone else. I tell you, my friends, I, I, don't want, I don't want anything to happen here this morning that God did not do. Not words I say to you, not thoughts you're thinking, but what I want is for the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and take, preside over this meeting, opening our understanding so that we might see his performance. Verse 30. He took the bread and he gave it to them. But when the bread is being served, please notice, didn't say they opened their eyes. The text says their eyes were opened. He did it. Their eyes were open. They were seeing in two dimensions that morning, that evening. They were seeing with the physical eyes. But oh, friends, what, what we see of God in the physical eye, with the physical eyes will never suffice for a soul that is destitute. We must see with the spiritual eyes. He must open our eyes that we will recognize him. And when he was serving them, please notice, he was serving them. Would you allow me to say this to you? Perhaps the worst thing for any Christian to do is to realize that he or she is served by God. It's not something we want. Let me give you three examples. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter, and what does Peter say? Not my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't allow me to serve you, you'll miss out on service to me. 
in Acts chapter 17, 24 and 25, Paul writes, the God who made, I should say Luke writes about Paul, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands. Indeed, he himself gives to all mankind. You see, when we come to the table, it is not that we come to do something in order to get a favor from God. It is that God has done it already to show us his favor. We do not come to try to get something or to give something. We come to get something. The only one who can stir our souls is Christ. I will put you, I will put you in the, the hewn on the rock. And I will pass by you and you will see my goodness, my loving kindness, my grace, my forgiveness. All this I have done for you. And if that does not satisfy you, this one blew my mind. The third one. Jesus serves us by keeping us clean. Jesus serves us by giving us what we have daily needs for. He gives to us everything. But I want you to see something else. In Luke chapter 13, verses 35 to 37. I won't read the whole thing, but listen to this. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. He will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and he will serve them. Oh, dear friends, I don't understand this. But when we get to the table at the marriage feast of the Lord, he will be our server. He will dress himself. He will get in, 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 the, in the posture of a servant. In fact, that's the way he came to earth. I did not come to be served, but to serve. You see, the performance of God, my friends, is that he is the source and the supplier of all spiritual fire, all spiritual needs, all spiritual energy comes because he is working it into our lives. And it is in our communion with him through the scriptures that we begin to burn in our hearts and enjoy him. We rediscover Jesus in communion with him. And lastly, the passion, the passion. Well, I have here the, 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 the pleasure of the disciples. They recognize him. They recognize him. I keep mentioning to you, this, well, I didn't to you, I think I did to someone else, one of the stalwarts of, of the Christian life died this past week in the person of Elizabeth Elliot. I have never met Elizabeth Elliot in person, but she had a profound influence upon my life long before I was even a Christian because I remember when her husband died in 1956. 
and Elizabeth Elliot, as someone, John Piper writes of her, her greatest pleasure was God. Her greatest pleasure was God. She never allowed anything, anything to interfere with that in which her soul took pleasure. The death of her husbands, married three times. Each of her husbands died. And each time, each death of her husband brought out something unique of this woman. Amy Carmichael. What a woman of God she was. Her pleasure was God. Amy Carmichael, my friends, was, was so devoted to God that when you read her life, I, I think I told her of a little book called If. Oh, I tell you, every time I read that book, I want to scream. <laughs> because what this woman, the pleasure she had in God, I have not yet arrived at. I have not yet arrived there. But she had the pleasure. She had seen him. She's seeing through different eyes. She sees Jesus Christ in a far different way than we do. What's the proof that there was fire in their souls? Listen, at the beginning of this text, the disciples are walking down the road. At the end of this text, <laughs> that's what it says. They rose that very hour. They were going to Emmaus with their heads down in the dumps. They are running from Emmaus back to Jerusalem with fire in their hearts. I ask you this morning as we come to a close of this service, how passionate are you for Jesus Christ? What is the degree of the temperature in your heart for him? As I ask myself the same question. Will you allow him to serve you? Because that's where we get to learn of him. Will you allow him to reveal himself to you? So that you lose some of what is ordinary to people. To gain what is extraordinary from him. The proof will be your passion because where your heart is, where your treasure is, will be revealed. Where my treasure is, it will be revealed. The disciples could not contain it. The fire was burning and they had to go and share. Please listen, friends. And I will close here because I have much more to say about this next week, Lord's willing. The greatest need of this hour in which you and I are living and breathing is for the people of God to live with a passion for Jesus Christ. The greatest need. Because God is being evicted from our world. And the only witness he has in this world, you and me. He intended to go further? No. He wanted them to ask. Fill me. Live in me. 
burn in me and let me live with a passion to make you known. Father, oh God, I pray that you will awaken our sleeping souls. The greatest thing had happened to the disciples, but what Jesus wanted them to know, that's the reason he disappeared, vanished from them immediately after he revealed himself, is that we do not live by experiences, we live by the scriptures. I pray that this is what the disciples in this meeting this morning will know, that it is not our experience that will carry us through hard times. The scriptures will. And may we embrace the scriptures and be embraced by the scriptures so that we too will know the burning heart in this secular world in which we live and burn with a divine fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is truly, truly risen. He is alive. Oh God, may we live not as though we serve a dead Christ, but a living Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.